So this morning we are looking at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. So if you want to follow along in the Bibles provided in the chairs, you can turn to page 2. Page 2. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God finished. God rested. And God blessed. We're going to be looking at those mighty works of God and how he continues to do that in our lives. But let's pray for God's discernment and wisdom at this time. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your power and your grace in our lives. We do pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to receive and understand your truth. We pray for discernment and wisdom that you may guide us into your love and your grace at this time. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. So as we continue going through Genesis, we've been looking at Genesis 1, and now we're entering the Genesis 2. And Lord willing, for the rest of August, we'll be looking at 1, 2, and 3, these first three chapters in Genesis. And remember that some of the key points we've looked at to this point are... God is God. Remember we talked about that? And if God is God, that means we are not God. So that may be pretty basic, but it's pretty important. Pretty important. So God is God, and we are not God. Now in the midst of that, we realize that God is all-powerful. He made everything from nothing, And God is good. So what is the theme we keep seeing after day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, and day six? God considers what he has made, and he says it is good. It is good. Remember, God is holy and perfect, and all of his creation we see to this point is good. At this point in Genesis... We see that there is no death, there is no sickness, there is no sin, there is no pain, there is nothing that brings destruction. Everything to this point is created for good and for holy and perfect purposes, and there is nothing that is out of place or wrong. We consider that even at the end of day six, where it says... After God created Adam and Eve, and he says, he considers it, and he says it is very good. Very good. So we see God is all-powerful. 
He is God. He makes everything and everything is good. At this point in the history of the scriptures, there is no pain, no suffering, nothing that's wrong. And we see God's goodness and his love being lifted up. And that takes us into this moment of the seventh day, where, as I said before, we're going to be looking at these three words, these three words that are so crucial. God finishes, God rests, and God blesses. So those are the three words. He finishes, he rests, and he blesses. I know one of my favorite moments when I was in Cub Scouts, We'd be out, and, and our Cub Scout leaders were very wise because here we were, these young boys gathered together, so they'd have a little bit of merit badge or a little bit of knot tying and this and that, and then they had a big time where you'd go outside, and you'd run, and you'd play, and you'd do these physical activities. They're just trying to get our energy out. This is the whole motivation. So they would teach and instruct, but mostly it was this wild time of outdoor activity. And then we knew no matter how hot or how tired we were, that when we came into the school gym, because our Cub Scout troop met us, met at the elementary school I went to, we came into the school gym. The first thing that we would see when we entered into the door was my grandmother. And she would have laid out on the table there cookies and punch. Never forget this. Every time we'd be hot, sweaty, this and that. And she'd say, sit down. So we'd come in after all that play. We'd sit down around that table. And she would serve us cookies and punch every week, every time. And so many of the other kids in the troop, they didn't, they didn't know her name. They knew her as the cookie lady. And they knew no, no matter what they had done or what took place, that there would be that, those cookies and that punch, that time of rest. And she would say, okay, sit down. And we'd sit down. And she personally served each and every one of us. I always go back to that time of no matter how busy or how active or how sweaty or how tired, there was that moment of rest, of sitting down and experiencing love and care in a powerful and profound way. So we're going to see this this theme here in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. God finishes. He shows his complete power and control and he finishes his creative work and then he shows us rest and he shows us what it is to be blessed beyond our hopes or expectations. So first of all, we'll go back here to the first verse, verse one. God finishes his work of making the heavens and earth. God finishes. Now, we understand God is always active. Even though God finishes his creative work, he continues to sustain. Everything that happens or is in existence can only continue to be in existence because God's continued sustaining power at work. But here we see something definitive, and it is this. All that initial work of God creating 
in those six days of making the sun, moon, and stars on the fourth day or separating the land from the water or the heavens, the water above and the water below, all that work, all that work of God making each different kind of vegetation, whether it be the plants or the trees or the birds or the animals of the sea or the animals on land, after God makes each specific kind, everything that he has made, he stops. It is all complete. He finishes. So there's something very clear in the scriptures that that work of all that initial creation was finished. It was complete. It was perfect. It was very good. So from the scriptures, you don't see anything else being any new thing being created beyond that point. His work of creation is finished. But this work of creation serves the purpose of this work that was planned, this work that takes place from eternity past to eternity future. And here we see this aspect of God's creative work as serving his ultimate and greatest plan of redemption. Redemption. We can't think of it this way, that God creates everything and it's good, and that was his original plan. Plan A was God would make everything good, and then when we messed it up, he's got to come up with plan B. That is not what the scriptures present. What the scriptures present is plan A, the plan, the only plan, the eternal plan, is always that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit these three that are in perfect relationship, that they are going to create a people in their image who will have redemption, who will be saved. So we see where the creation, everything we've looked at in Genesis 1, is to serve that greater plan. And even when the fall takes place, That is a part of God's allowing all these things to take place for that great plan of redemption. Redemption. So this statement of it is finished or God finishes, you see that throughout the scriptures. As we see it here in verse 1 of Genesis 2, and God finished his work of making the heavens and the earth. But then we see another, it is finished, or it is completed. And it is this moment. We see Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross, he had lived a perfect life. He had never sinned. He had never done anything wrong. He lived as Adam lived before Adam fell into sin. So Jesus comes and he lives perfectly, but he never sins. He never says anything wrong. He never does anything wrong. There is never a disobedient thought in his mind. He lives perfectly. And because of his perfect life, he can stand absolutely righteous before God. And throughout Jesus's life, you see God speaking over Jesus what he spoke over the creation. Remember at the end of Genesis chapter 1, where God looks at all that he had made and it was perfect and he said it was very good. 
This is what God speaks over Jesus when he comes out of the waters of baptism. He says, this is my son to whom I am well pleased. Well pleased because Jesus is very good. He's very good. Because Jesus comes to show this ultimate plan of redemption. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, when he has taken our sin on himself, when he is bearing the just wrath and punishment that we deserve because of our sins, before he dies on the cross, Jesus says, It is finished, it is completed. the same words as we see in Genesis chapter 2. So there we see where God in Genesis chapter 2 completes his work of creation, but his work of redemption continues. His work of redemption is being built up to until Jesus on the cross says the ultimate, it is finished. It is complete. But that isn't the last time we hear these words. The same theme that we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 of it is finished. And then Jesus on the cross, it is finished. We see it again in Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, where the new Jerusalem comes down and you have the new heaven, the new earth. And we see where God speaks it again. In Revelation 21, verse 6, we see where God says, it is finished it is done it is complete and this is after the new heavens and new earth he says it again he says i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end it's this beautiful promise as you go on in revelation 21 6 you see this and he said it is finished i am the alpha and omega the beginning and the end and then he has this beautiful statement to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. All those who are thirsty for peace, all those who are thirsty for love, all those who are thirsty for forgiveness and grace and life, God says he will give it freely. Remember, that's how we are saved. We understand that salvation is a gift freely given by God to those who understand their thirst and their need. And he comes and he gives that to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And he pronounces over us who believe and are in Christ, it is finished. He provides for us all that we need. When we understand this work of God's completing creation and God's completing the act of redemption on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and God completing his work of the new heavens and new earth, as we see in Revelation 21, we see all along God's ultimate work is that of lifting up his glory and that enabling us to enter into his glory and his peace and his love. So when we understand this theme throughout Scripture of God saying it is finished, it is complete, 
we then see in verse 2 of Genesis 2 this understanding of God rests. God rests. Now, we understand what it is to need rest. We understand that. But we have to understand something about God. God has no need for rest. Remember that earlier theme we looked at? Why? Because God is God. He doesn't need rest. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. We see that in Isaiah. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 29. I'll read that. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. So we understand God is all-powerful. He has no need for resting. So what, what, is, what is it getting at here that God rests? Well, if you look at those words of God rest, and you look at them, that Hebrew throughout the Old Testament, you see that the main theme of this rest that we find here is God ceases and desists. God stops something. And this is a situation where throughout the scripture, it says it's God stops something to look back and enjoy. Not because of weariness or fatigue, but because of him receiving glory in what he has made. It's a beautiful image, this resting of God. This God stopping he's completed creation and now he is resting he is enjoying remember that's what we saw at the end of genesis 1 and god considered so there you see god considering god is as if this image of him stepping back and looking at all that he's made and god considered all that he had made and said it is very good very good To enter that rest of God stepping back and considering very good, we have this image in Scripture. I've referenced it before, and it's this. It's where, we, where Christ returns. You have the new heavens and new earth, and then all come before the judgment seat of God. So here we are before God's judgment seat, and there's either no rest for those who do not believe and trust in Jesus Christ, they are sent to the place of no rest. This is the place of God's wrath and punishment and judgment. But there are those who enter his rest because they are in Jesus Christ. His righteousness is theirs and they have God's forgiveness and love and they enter into God's rest. And you have this statement given, which always amazes me in Scripture. It's where God speaks over those who are in his son, Jesus Christ, through faith and belief and trust. And he speaks over them and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember what he spoke over Jesus? This is my son to whom I am well pleased because he is the good and faithful servant. But by believing and trusting in Jesus, we receive his righteousness, his faithfulness, 
And that is pronounced over us. And that is the most beautiful spoken word that enters us into rest than any other. For God to speak over us, you are my child to whom I am well pleased as he sees us in his son, Jesus Christ. So this is us entering into the rest because who is the source of our rest? It is Jesus Christ. The one who went to the cross, the one who lived the perfect life, the one who displays all of God's righteousness and truth. We see where Jesus fulfills all of the law. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, the day of rest, because he is rest. And then you have this interesting thing in Scripture. Remember when Jesus comes, you have the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, and you have those who are in the entire religious system. And Jesus challenges them because they were putting burdens on people rather than freeing people. Remember, Jesus came and he said, Come to me, all those who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because by and large, for the most part, the people were being weighed down with, you must do this, and you must keep these laws, and you must do this on the Sabbath, and you must live this way, and according to these times, and festivals, and Sabbaths, and sacrifices. And what it was a reminder was this. We fall short. We can't save ourselves. This is beyond our ability. So Jesus says, come to me. Once you realize that you can't save yourself. But not only that, God is so good and loving. He's provided a way of salvation. He sent his son, who is Lord of the Sabbath, who is the one who brings rest and peace and forgiveness. So trust in him. Give him your life. And we realize that we are saved not by fulfilling all the law, because we can't do that. If you break one law, you've broken all of them in the scriptures. So, so we realize that salvation is a gift that can't be earned. A gift of God's grace. And we see that we come to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, through trusting and believing in him. And true faith that trusts and believe in, believes in Jesus Christ, true faith and salvation that is a gift from God is a faith that will be active to give God glory and praise and honor and that we will then find ourselves striving and working. Remember, not to be saved, that's impossible. But out of that gratitude, out of that joy, out of that goodness of salvation in God, then we see ourselves working and striving and persevering to give God glory. And that's why we see throughout the New Testament this theme of striving to enter the rest of Christ. This striving. Not to be saved. We don't strive to be saved because we can't. Salvation is a gift that we receive in faith. But this living, active faith, which is a gift of God, is one that produces fruit of joy and peace. And then we're called to run the race, to follow Christ, to, 
throw away all those things that cause us to stumble and and turn us away from God and to keep our eyes fixed on the cross and run that race with perseverance. We run that race knowing that in Jesus, not only do we find rest now, but that ultimately when Christ returns, we enter into that ultimate day of rest. This is the theme of Hebrews, of Hebrews 3 and 4. This theme of entry into this rest. We see it in Hebrews 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we understand that once we've been saved in Jesus Christ and we have faith, that we run that race. We keep our eyes fixed on Christ. He is our prize. He is our goal. He is our everything. And we throw off everything that trips us up and causes us to stumble and hinders us. And we keep our eyes fixed. And we keep running knowing that when either we die or Christ returns, we cross the finish line. And finally, we have that eternal, perfect rest. If you go back to Hebrews 4, you see it woven together there. Hebrews 4 makes it clear. If you look at Hebrews 4, starting at verse 6, since therefore... It, reminds, it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Here the author of Hebrews is talking about taking us to the Old Testament and where God saved the people of Israel from Egypt, yet so many in the wilderness through grumbling and disobedience and disregard for God, they didn't enter into God's rest. Again, verse 7, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Then verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And then verse 11, let us therefore strive, there's that word again, to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Strive to enter that rest. That was a theme that Paul has throughout his writings. We see where Paul talks about working our, our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that it's God at work in us. 
We see in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Acts 14. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many challenges and tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God to finally find that rest at the return of Christ. And again in Revelation 21, we see where God, the Alpha and Omega, offers that cup of cool water for those who are thirsty. The water of His forgiveness, of His grace, and His love found in the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's where you find blessing. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. The world gives you many different forms of striving for rest. Striving for rest. The world offers many different ways for you to strive for blessedness. Remember, blessed, to be blessed in Scripture, to be blessed means to be happy. Now, it isn't some superficial happiness. It's a full, whole joy and peace, but ultimately it's happiness. So the world offers you all different forms of rest and all different forms of happiness and all different forms of goodness. But we see here in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we see in Genesis chapter 1 that we looked at, well, I'll even go forward. You see in the entire book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you see it throughout the major and minor prophets. You see it throughout the history books. Well, if you even went further, you see it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even in the book of Acts. Well, even if you keep going, you see it in the letters that Paul wrote, and the letters of Peter, and the letters of John, and Jude, and James, and wow, do you see it in Revelation. You see this theme. Life is found in Jesus Christ. True peace and rest is found in Jesus Christ. True happiness and blessing is found in Jesus Christ. And only in Him. That's why Jesus, in talking about the rest that is found in him, he told us, he says, you can gain the whole world. You can gain all the power, all the privilege, all the wealth, everything that this world has to offer. Yet, if you do not have also that rest and peace and love that is found in Jesus Christ, you have nothing. 
So that's my hope and encouragement that each and every one of us, as we strive, as we work hard, as we continue to run the race set out before us, that when it comes to our rest, when it comes to our blessing, when it comes to our hope, where it comes to our joy, where it comes to our peace, that we understand that our eyes should be only and ultimately fixed on Jesus Christ. Because if we seek our rest or seek our blessing or seek our life ultimately in anyone or in anything else, it will fail us. As we will close the service, we'll again be looking at the solid rock. And remember that chorus. Other than Jesus Christ and His righteousness, other than the gospel of the salvation of the cross of Jesus Christ, all other ground is sinking Sand. I've been in quicksand. Has anyone here been in quicksand? I've actually been in quicksand. I was with the Boy Scouts and we were up in Maine. And we were in this section where you go down and the rapids were waterfalls. So you portage, you, you carried your canoes and you carried your gear and you had to go this mile through the woods until you could put in another safe place in the river. And our guide warned us, our guide warned us that there were sections there where there's actual quicksand, quick mud. There were places that if you got into, you would sink and sink and sink. So they trained us what to do if we got into it. Because inevitably, someone was going to fall into these pits or these sections, and they had to train us. And they said, when you fall into that quicksand, you're going to get excited. You know, there's something about you're going to die that excites you. You know, that's, 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 that's normal. So when you get in there, you're going to get excited. And when you get excited as you're sinking and as you're thinking more and more about your imminent death, you're going to thrash about. And the more you thrash about in your excitement, what happens? The lower and quicker you sink. So the closer you are to dying. So what will that do? That will make you all the more excited. So what will you do in your excitement? You will thrash and toss yourself about even more until eventually you get to here in the quicksand or the quick mud. And you will stop thrashing about. Okay, Ranger. I remember little camper Jacob after he gave us this talk. So he says, so do you want to know what to do if you fall in that will save you? Yes. I was 13 years old when they gave this talk. Yes, let me know what to do. He says, this is what you do when you fall into the quicksand or the quick mud. You do not thrash about. You do not 
move about with all your energy and might. No, what you do is you slowly and calmly stretch yourself forward and you rest. And slowly and carefully, you spread out your arms and legs as far as you can and gently and calmly, you gently move yourself across the top of that sand and mud. And in that peace and gentle calm, as if you are laying back on some nice beach in the sand with a cool drink next to you, no fears, no concerns, just that's where you are. You just gently move yourself to the side and then gently crawl out. That's how you get out of quicksand and quick mud. So here we see where God sets this pattern of showing that in Him there is rest, in Him there is completion, in Him there is blessing. Let me tell you, in our sin, in this world of brokenness and pain, We're all in quicksand. You're already in the quicksand. So how do we get out? God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. In His perfection, His love, and we fix our eyes and trust and belief on Him, and ultimately we rest in the fact that that He has paid the penalty. He has taken our sin. His blood washes us clean. In Him we have peace. And it's only in that rest that we spread ourselves completely out in trust on Jesus Christ that we find ourselves rescued. Jesus says, come to me, all those who are weary and burdened, and he will give you rest. Why? Because he's God, and we're not. He can do what we cannot do. So that's where we put our trust and our hope and our belief. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who is just thrashing about in their own strength and their own ability and and trying to earn their way to goodness or earn their way to salvation, Father, I pray that you will help them to know that it is only through faith and a free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ that they can find that rest. And Father, I pray that you will give them faith 
that you will help them to know the salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. And in him, you will enable them to strive and run with their eyes fixed on your glory and your peace. Father, we thank you for rest. We thank you for blessing. And we thank you for salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.